Hey, Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello Trojan fans and welcome to the Peristyle Podcast on a Tuesday. This is obviously not Ryan Abraham, it's Kilior taking over for a little bit. Ryan Abraham is enjoying himself and gallivanting around the world. I believe he's in Scotland right now, I think. So, good vacation for him. But Dan and I are holding down the fort. We have Dan Weber on the line. Dan, how's it going? Doing good, doing good, yeah. I I got a chance to do that once uh, and, and made the tour. Actually, it would have been... This same week, it was the week of the British Open, actually. Um, uh, I got to caddy a little bit for a friend in the British Open. So, And we did some of what Ryan is doing and tried to play every golf course that you could, you know, get to, uh, all the famous ones and what have you. And, and so it uh, uh, sounds like a lot of fun. I think he's including Ireland also. Uh, so uh, he's actually, uh, you know, expanding on the trip. But uh, what a great time to be in uh, in England, uh, especially if you're golfing. Uh, yeah, exactly. I, I, it's it's a classic Ryan adventure. He's ending up everywhere and shenanigans are happening. I think his car broke down on the way to someplace. I don't know. But nice casual oh. drop that you were a, a caddy in the British Open, Dan. That seems like a very yeah, notable that? thing. Oh, I forgot. You probably, I've not, probably never told you that story. No, uh, it's one so, of the, uh, the rare stories I haven't heard. <laughs> uh, the hardest part of the whole, whole trip, though, was driving stick shift on the other side and having to shift uh, with your left hand. That was really, really hard. And some of those, uh, some of those narrow roads and small towns in Scotland were, uh, were a real challenge. It was, it was fun, but, but it was a little, uh, a little scary. Uh, so yeah, that hopefully like they it. didn't have that, uh, that problem. Uh, I like driving stick, but uh, I would have probably uh, been better advised to uh, go with automatic uh, uh, back then. It's not something you think about, like, oh, I'm going to have to shift with my non-dominant hand on the other side of the exactly. road. It's a different level of difficulty, for sure. <laughs> it's uh, way, it was really interesting challenge. Uh, yeah, and uh, so, but the, co- the course is wonderful. Uh, the people were great, uh, you know, the way they love their golf and, and all of that, and it was just, uh, uh, you know, for somebody, especially, you know, Ryan, who really is a golfer, that's a trip of a lifetime. Uh, it's just, uh, and uh, I still remember this. We flew through Atlanta uh, to make our connection to England, and there were a whole bunch of SEC football coaches getting on the plane because they were going for a golfing tour themselves. So it was one of those uh, really cool moments. Johnny Majors from Tennessee and people like that were, were on the plane, and uh, it was kind of a, kind of a neat trip. Wow, that sounds really neat. Always always a yep. relevant Dan story. That's the joke that Dan and I always have. Whatever's happening around us, there's a relevant Dan story. Like I, I'll watch you know, TV or interviews and what have you and say, well, I talked to that person, I talked to that person, I've been, I was there. You know, and it's just you know, a function of having been around for a long, long, long time and, uh, and, and going a lot of places. And uh, it, it sort of catches up with you eventually where you kind of have stories. 
Yep, it's, it seems like it. Um, but if you have any questions or comments for the show, and that's a hard transition, but I'm doing it anyway, you can drop us an email at podcast at uscfootball.com. You can also call and leave us a voicemail, 424-254-9141. We haven't gotten a lot of voicemails as of late. I think it's the off-season lull, but the real season, the regular season, is just around the corner. So make sure you guys get your questions in. We love hearing from you guys. Uh, but Dan, USC had some news that they conveniently dropped on Friday in the middle of the day. Uh, we had suspected that this was coming, but we got confirmation on Friday. USC scheduled its first FCS opponent in UC Davis. They're going to play UC Davis. USC is in 2021. Um, I know you've written a couple columns about this, but what are your general thoughts about about that development? Yeah, I mean, I, I just think... Uh it's the only one of the games that drops USC out of the, you know, distinction uh, with Notre Dame and UCLA, which is really kind of interesting that the three arch rivals and that USC is fortunate enough to have uh, two absolute arch rivals. I mean, almost nobody in college football has two arch rivals. You can't almost pick between the two of them. And that those two will remain as the schools that can say we've never played uh, below uh, the football bowl uh, subdivision level, and USC will have after 2021. I just think it's not worth it to USC. And I know, you know, they talked about uh, the couple of schools that had, you know, because it's kind of taken a long time to get this resolved. Uh, that there were only a couple of schools in the country, Middle Tennessee and UNLV, that had September 4, 2021 open. And going through the future schedules list, I did find one other, the University of Massachusetts, a, a new football uh, NFBS school that also had that date. And you just think, you know, they're talking about these schools want an outrageous amount of money now because they see uh, what the going rate is if you're going to play Alabama or Tennessee or, or Ohio State or whoever. Uh, and uh, I just think for USC, for the time being, they had to figure out a way to get that done. You know, whether it's whether you offer UNLV three home games, uh, you know, or two home games, I'd say, in L.A. for USC, and USC goes to uh, Las Vegas to play in that new, uh, the new stadium there uh, to play UNLV or, or whatever. I just think, you know, USC has to figure out a, a better way. For example, if you say you need seven home games, you can't stay in the Pac-12 because every other year you're only going to get four Pac-12 home games and you're going to have five road games. Well, that's impossible. You know, if you, you know, USC needs to, I think, work some of that out with the Pac-12 and probably get some other people to go with them and say, look, you know, this is really limiting us. This is not what they do in the SEC. It's not what they do in the ACC. You know, those are the, you know, teams that are ending up in the, you know, in the, uh, in the championship games, and we've got to do something different. But it, it kind of looked like USC waved the white flag and just said, no, nah, we can't, you know, come up with the money. We can't come up with uh, any other solutions, so we'll just go ahead and bite the bullet. I just – I don't think that's the signal USC needs to be sending right now that we just can't quite figure out how to, how to keep doing what we're doing. I mean, I, I don't know that just, you know, any one game is that big a deal. It's more the, the signaling of, 
well, we just can't. We'd probably like to do it, you know, and keep it going. And we've talked about it, and we've been proud of it, and our alums are proud of it. But we just can't quite do it, so we'll just sort of give in. And I just think that's not that's not how you run a football program if you really expect people, you know, to be, uh, you know, respected. And uh, and USC right now has to not signal that uh, they can't compete and they can't get done what they need to get done. And and I know they said, well, this is how the teams that win national championships do it. Well, USC is not in the in the hunt for national championships. USC needs to get people into the Coliseum, and uh, that's not the way to do it. You know, uh, if you want to get yourself into the college football playoffs a few times and then say, well, we need our seventh home game to be kind of you know not not all that challenging, and we'll still get people to show up because they're so excited about the program. That's one thing, but USC isn't there right now, and. Uh, they're not anywhere close to that. So I, I just thought just not a good way to go. And, and, you know, figure out how to fill that date. I still think they need to figure out how to get out of that game and, uh, you know, uh, pay UC Davis what, whatever the contract calls for uh, in terms of, you know, backing out. I mean, USC's had uh, Texas A&M has backed out of an agreement for a home-and-home series. Tennessee has. So it's not unheard of that, you know, teams back out. And uh, I think that would be a good, you know, get somebody to sponsor the game, for example. You know, get United Airlines to underwrite, you know, if it's going to cost you a million and a half dollars to bring UNLV or, or Middle Tennessee in for the game, get somebody to sponsor it. Make it the United Airlines Day, you know, at uh, United Airlines Field. <laughs> you know, I mean, just do some, you know, creative things. And I just don't know that we're seeing that from USC. And I'd, I'd like to see, you know, more of that and, and less of USC just sort of saying, you know, it's just too hard to do this and nobody's cooperating with us and we don't have the money. I think those are all kind of not the, uh, not the things you want to project. I thought it was interesting. You talked about they did it on Friday when is, is the PR professional PR, uh, bad news dump time. But, you know, luckily for us, they didn't, you know, usually you do it at 5.01 after everybody's gone home and they don't get around to addressing it until the next Monday. But USC dumped it at 12.01. So everybody still had plenty of time, uh, you know, to get the news out. And I'm not sure that's the news you really want to get out on all the the national websites and all that, that where the headline said, you know, USC uh, drops out of uh, its, uh, you know, FBS scheduling to, to get UC Davis. Yeah, you know, mentioning the timing, I had tweeted it out, and it just seemed like from the fan perspective, it was like from their point of view, it was less one less thing to be proud of about USC football and the tradition and, and something to brag about the program. I mean, I know that the Peristyle, we had a lot of threads that were like, okay, here's another thing that we can't be – be excited about or proud about of the program i mean from a standpoint of a fan what does this say about the direction of the program i know that they're not happy where it's going already but to add this in you know in the grand scheme of things one game is not going to ruin everything but it's it's tradition and i know usc and usc is usually all about tradition yeah i would have tried to keep i would have kept the date open until maybe you know maybe you could work something out i mean the other option is 
there's going to be a new stadium in Los Angeles by then. And why not maybe try to set something up similar to what they have at uh, AT&T Stadium and what the, what the Cowboys do, or similar to what Mercedes-Benz Stadium in Atlanta does. And Al- Alabama has done such a good job of offering itself as the host team. Uh, USC will be going there for the second time. It's a big payday, uh, great TV exposure. And teams are much more likely, for example, USC is much more likely to go in there for a one-time shot at a so-called neutral, you know, site and at a big, you know, exposure for the team and the players and all that. And I think the same thing would happen if USC, you know, cooperated with, uh, you know, UNLV and the Raiders maybe to do that in Las Vegas or USC cooperates with the Rams uh, to do that in, in L.A. And maybe 2021 would have been a good time to try to see if, uh, if they could break somebody loose. Uh, you know, for a game like that. Or maybe, you you know, just to get it started, you bring UNLV in and then you go back to UNLV. Um, and, you know, you kind of get that, 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 that started because I do think that would be an attractive trip if you're a, you know, the Big Ten people love coming to the Rose Bowl. I think that might be an attractive, you know, trip for some of those programs that travel so well, like, you know, Iowa, Wisconsin, or you know, for the big uh, for the SEC schools that almost never get to come to the West Coast, I think for their fans, you know, a trip to play in the you know the new Rams Stadium, everybody says is going to be the you know the best uh, you know football stadium in America. Uh, that would be kind of a, a cool deal, I think, to bring some of those uh, you know, those teams out here. So, I may not have scheduled UC Davis right now if there was any chance that you know within you know, a couple of years, you could put something together like that. Uh, I think I would have left the option open a little bit more. Yeah, and and those are good ideas, but, you know, we've had, we've reported in the war room that, that it's a little tight financially as far as the athletic department goes. How feasible is it to kind of have that wiggle room to uh, ask different teams or arrange something in a stadium like the new Ram Stadium? Well, I think what what's so good about what happens in Dallas is, the Cowboys take on, they do all that work, they do all the organizing, they make a lot of money from it. Uh, I mean, you know, the uh, merchandise sales and tours and all the kinds of things that are going on, I mean, it's obviously a, a really good thing for the Cowboys. That's the kind of thing you'd like to see USC to be able to maybe work with uh, the Rams and the Raiders to say, this could really be a good thing for you guys. And, uh, you know, it brings in a whole different, you know, group of people into your stadium, and it's good for L.A., and it's, you know, it's good for college football. It's good in a lot of ways. So, I mean, I don't think, for example, Alabama doesn't cost them a thing, you know, to have basically been the team that's uh, made that really work in, uh, in uh, AT&T Stadium in Arlington. And then they were the first ones in the new Mercedes-Benz Stadium in, in Atlanta. And again, you know, you just have to find somebody. Maybe in Las Vegas, it would be, you know, the Convention and Visitors Bureau or, or whoever, you know. Uh, but that's the kind of, you know, behind-the-scenes work you'd like to see USC do, where it doesn't cost it because the payday. For example, USC's payday in going to, you know, uh, Texas next year will be better than uh, any home game, from what I understand, or at least equal 
pretty much the same as playing another home game. So, uh, so I, I think that would have been really worth worth exploring, considering the you know the two great stadiums that are coming online in the country in the next couple of years are both in the you know the Pac-12 footprint. One in you know Los Angeles and one in Las Vegas. Just seems like such a great opportunity for USC to figure out a way to get involved, and uh, I just didn't see that happening, and that's a shame. Yeah, yeah, without a doubt. Um, well, as I said, we're getting closer to the regular season, which means that it's it's watch list season right now in these last couple of weeks before the regular season starts. JT Daniels was named on Monday to the Davy O'Brien Award uh, watch list, and then he was just recognized today uh, by the Maxwell Award. J. Tufele also named to the Chuck Bednarik Award watch list, and then Michael Pittman was also listed to another award list. I think it was for, what was it, Dan? It was for... The good works. It's like off the field, uh, you know, things that that players do. So I think they nominated a player from every team, but he was USC's nominee for for the good works team. So uh, I think Allstate maybe, I think think it's Allstate uh, sponsors that that team. So uh, that's uh, good for, good for Michael. He's, he's done a lot of good things here. Uh, with this, uh, with the USC football team right now, so uh, he's getting recognized for, and we're gonna have to find out what are the, you know, the things that he's getting, um, you know, nominated for. Yeah. So, but as far as JT Daniels goes, that's two award watch lists in two days. I mean, that seems like a vote of confidence for a quarterback that some USC fans don't seem very high on. Yeah, it's that's typical. I mean, if you're a, you know, typical USC fan. And the typical any sports fan in any sport almost is the most uh, the guy that they tend to like the most is the pitcher who's not starting, or you know the quarterback that's not starting is often the most you know uh, favorite guy on the team. Uh, it's just that's just the way it works. It's just so easy to you know jump on that bandwagon and uh, and put all your your hopes, uh, you know, I mean, it, it, it surprises me that people would not say, wow, we have a kid who was a freshman who started 11 games and really survived in a terrible offense that gave him very little protection in terms of a running game that teams had to respect. Um, he was in, you know, why would you turn your back on 11 starts and go in a different direction? I mean, I'm not saying that there shouldn't be competition and they shouldn't have to win it, but for people to just assume there's a better way to go than the kid who started 11 games for you, uh, it surprises me, and yet, and yet it doesn't. That's just how fans are. As far as the competition goes, what have you seen in PRPs? Do you see a quarterback separating himself, or is the way that they're doing it just because it's it's they're doing Graham Harrell's system and it's it's just repetition and the same thing each day? Do you see is there an opportunity for anyone to step out as a leader as the guy as far as quarterback goes? I don't know that uh, PRPs are designed to do that to to put them in a you know competitive position. I mean, I just think the one thing that we've always heard about JT from the, you know, uh, Jordan Palmer, who coached him in, uh, you know, in high school with his own quarterback coach, and, and for everybody who's been around him, he can make all the throws. He can make them easy. He can make the, you know, the deep ball throws that, that a lot of people can. He can make that deep out. 
and all of that. He's the only quarterback that they have who literally can make make all the throws. And um, he's kind of used to being in charge. Um, I thought it was interesting that um, uh, by doing all the repetition, which they do, you know, over and over and over again, is the hope is, I think, for Graham Harrell, is that here's JT, this, you know, voluminous note-taker who, you know, goes into every quarterback session and takes all kinds of notes and went to the Manning Passing Academy and took all kinds of notes, is, and he's the guy that knows where everybody is on every single play, and he's been that way his whole life. Um, just maybe puts a little bit of that behind him and just goes out and plays and just lets his, you know, lets his talent take over and just lets his arm take over, lets his eyes take over, and uh, and just just takes what, what they give him and doesn't try to figure out because you can't always know what the defense is going to do or how they're going to defend. You can guess or you can try to, you know, do the percentages in your head, but you don't really need to do that. You just have to be ready to do whatever they give you and you just have to, you know, quickly recognize it and react to it. And I think that's kind of what's happening, uh, you know, with the quickness and, and just the over and over, over uh, you know, running the same patterns. And it's up to the defense to make the call as to how they're going to defend you on any one play. And what does that mean, you know, for the quarterback to immediately, you know, see that and react to it and, and, you know, hit the target as quick as he can. Uh, so I think some of that's happening in the summer, but, uh, but the summer has absolutely not been designed to try to, you know, uh, let them compete. Uh, it's just more let them get comfortable, let them uh, repeat rather than, co- you know, compete. And then uh, and we'll, we'll see what happens when, uh, when August gets here. But, uh, but, uh, but it's, it, if you do watch him, though, he makes all the uh, JT makes all the throws effortlessly. You know, he's more of a pocket guy, obviously. He's a little bit, you know, he's lost five, six pounds, um, so he's probably got a little more bounce and a little more escapability. But, um, but he's uh, he more. I mean, this is an ideal offense for him. So, so we'll see. But uh, uh, you know, I think if, what I'd like to see now when they get into August is how they're going to use the deep ball, because that is a weapon that JT has. And that wasn't something that, uh, you know, that they incorporated a lot in the spring. And, uh, you know, I think, you know, they're going to figure out that will be the additional thing that we see added, uh, you know, brought in uh, to the offense when they get to August and, and, and when, when they start getting ready for, you know, specific teams. I know they don't want to do too much of that. They don't want to get into that, well, let's change the offense against this defense or change the offense, you know, this week. I don't think they want to do that much. But I think they want to have some things in there that are going to take advantage of of some of the special stuff that that JT can do. I think they'll go that way more than, you know, obviously there are things that um, um, Jack Sears can do because of his athleticism and his explosiveness. And all that. I'm not sure, you know, they'll go that direction uh, as much. I mean, Graham pretty much told us that that it's nice to have, you know, a quarterback with escapability, but it's not high on their list of things they need from their quarterback in this offense. 
Yeah, and as far as the deep ball goes, I kind of pressed Michael Pittman about that. I was like, now that you kind of have freedom as far as player-run practices, are you guys incorporating the deep ball more? Because we didn't necessarily see it in spring. And he said, you know, it, the deep ball can be our strength. And I think you saw that in the fall. You you saw JT Daniels kind of go to that deep ball when in desperation at times. And so he was like, you know that we're going to make it at least 70% of the time. That's not something that we need to really establish. It's the stuff... Um, between that, the fundamentals that we really need to get down and, and nail down because, you know, we have our height, that's our advantage, and we're going to take advantage of that. We can't not take advantage of that, but it's the other stuff that needs work. So it's interesting seeing how you'd think that the deep ball would be used more, especially when they're kind of just messing around in the summer a little bit, but that's something that they're kind of trying to shy away for as to not make it a crutch in, at, in the offensive scheme. Yeah, that's a good way to say it, a crutch or something that think they got to go to. I think because if they do the basic offense correctly, that will open up the ability to take that deep shot down the field. And uh, so I think they want to, you know, that's something you do when you get it, but it's not something you go in thinking this is what we're going to do. You let it develop. And, uh, and you saw some of that. You know, when Norm Chow was the offensive coordinator and uh, he let things develop or he set things up. And uh, that's, I think, what you want to see him do with this team is stay with their offense, stay very disciplined, uh, force teams to defend in ways maybe they don't want to defend, and then, uh, then, uh, then take your deep shot. And that's what JT, you know, can do because he does have the ability to throw that thing, you know, 50 yards on uh, on the money. And so, but, but you know, again, we haven't seen him push that, which is going to be fun to see when do they unveil it, when do they, uh, when do they use it. Yeah, exactly. Uh, one last thing before we get into questions. You know, Graham Harrell was peppered extensively in the spring about qualities of a starting quarterback in his eyes. And the thing that he said he wanted to see the most develop over the offseason was leadership on the offense and specifically in in the quarterbacks. And, you know, with Matt Fink leaving, you'd guess that, you know, he kind of maybe lost an edge with developing that leadership role. But talking to him, you know, I know you got to talk to him extensively after one of the PRPs. It seemed like he never really left, both physically and his presence on the team. How do you see this leadership battle kind of shaking out with all three guys? Yeah, I don't know if it's a battle. I think they complement each other. And I thought, you know, I think Matt's leadership ability is almost stronger having, you know, gone into the transfer portal and then deciding to come back and, uh, you know, getting his degree, uh, going, you know, for his, uh, you know, postgraduate stuff now. And uh, I think it's really – I think he's really shown that after his, his you know, knee surgery, uh, the way he's, you know, looks like a grand assistant out there. And um, he's, a, he's, he's a natural leader, and I think he's a real plus to him. And I asked him, I said, what's your role? And he said, I'm a backup senior quarterback. Uh, and then he elaborated on uh, an awful lot of that is, is, is doing leadership and, and taking uh, freshmen at any position under his wing and, in the dining hall as well as, uh, you know, on the field. And uh, I really like his approach. I really like the way he's thought it out as to what, he, what he's, uh, he's going to do. And, uh, I mean, I think it's what USC needs for sure. I think they had a – just didn't exactly get done last year. I mean, I think two of the natural leaders were freshmen, uh, JT and, uh, and Amon Ra. 
and it's almost impossible, I think, you know, for freshmen to, especially freshmen who hadn't even been here, you know, in the previous spring, uh, really impossible for them to, to take on that mantle. But but uh, but Matt Fink, I think it, it really fits him well, and uh, I've been real impressed with uh, with what we've seen from him. I just thought it, he just looks like a natural, and he just does it because that's who he is. I think JT does it in a you know in a different way, and uh, so uh, so I don't see you know any you know kind of, and they're they're all different with Jack, and you know they're just. They're just being themselves, I think, and, 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 and seeing how that plays out. I know JT has had to think about it a lot as the freshman, true freshman quarterback last year. You know, that's a big, uh, that's a big burden, you know, for a kid that could have still been a senior in high school. So, uh, uh, but, uh, but I think he, his leadership is more by just doing and, uh, and, and, and getting things right and, uh, uh, you know, just, just making it happen as opposed to, you know, telling people how to make it happen. I think he'll be a little more vocal than he was last year, but uh, um, you don't have, this is not the kind of offense where, you know, that's quite uh, – being vocal or being verbal isn't all that big a deal. I mean, there are a lot of things where, you know, they're not using many words. They're just, you know, going out. I mean, the emphasis is go out and play. Just play, okay? Just don't think about it. Don't talk about it. Just go out and play, and and we should be better at doing what we do well than they should be able, you know, in terms of stopping it. So, uh, so it can be interesting to watch how they all do, how they all express themselves uh, when we get to you know fall practice. Yeah, for sure. And I think your correction was was right when you said it's not a battle. They do complement each other well. Even just you know Matt Fink getting. Uh, a big media scrum around him in his first interview back, uh, Jack Sears passed him and patted him on the back and kind of said like a, an encouragement to him. So, you know, it's interesting how they all complement each other in a way that you know that they're vying for a starting job and yet they get they get along well together. Right. I, and I think they're, you know, last year I thought we saw that both Matt, when he came in, uh, uh, was it Utah game, I guess, and then, uh, and, and then Jack at the Arizona State game, I think they both played really well. Uh, so I, I, I would think that's one of the places where, yeah, USC fans should feel really, you know, good about this program in terms of, you know, being ready. Which is, it's and it's a place I think they're really undervalued. I, I, I thought one of the one of the people who covers the Pac-12 had, you know, like positions uh, evaluated and head for the quarterbacks had USC's quarterback position is number six or seven, some really silly, dumb uh, placing in the Pac-12, because I think they're really in good shape uh, in terms of quarterback uh, and, and this offense with, this, with uh, Graham Harrell and all that. I think, uh, I think they're in good shape with the combination. And Keaton Slovis has, you know, obviously uh, shown up way more. I mean, I think they were hopeful, but I don't think they – expected him to be the talent the the physical athlete the ability to make all the throws and then uh, and then the new walk on uh with scott harris i guess is uh he's shown a lot from fairfax uh, a, a left-handed athlete who looks like you know smart quick uh, got a good arm uh, they're they're in pretty good shape i think uh you know with five five guys that uh you know last year was four that and a lot of times just three 
And I don't know if they'll end up with five lines throwing the ball. We've certainly they go four because they've got four basic positions uh, in terms of receivers. But uh, but they could actually go five if they wanted to with the uh, quarterbacks that they've got. Yeah, which is an interesting wrinkle in PRPs because when all five, four of them go at the same time and you're trying to track the ball, it's like, what just happened? <laughs> but I'm getting used to it. The balls are crossing and the yep. receivers are crossing. And I think that's one of the things people are going to have to get used to is how many crossing routes there are and how many times guys cross the whole field in this offense. And it's 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 going to look different. I mean, you're you're going to be like, oh, where did that guy come from? which I think they're hoping the defense ends up having to, you know, say the same thing. Like, where did that guy come from? Did he come all the way across? Uh, it's, uh, yeah, there's a lot going on, and the balls are going in every, you know, every direction. And uh, uh, I think they're trying to make that just routine, it, you know, everything. And one of the things we're seeing, too, is they're throwing the ball up for grabs. It's up in the air. I mean, they're, you know, they're not throwing the ball down, you know, they're not throwing it at their chest anymore. They're throwing the ball up for people to go get it. And uh, feeling like with, you know, as many big kids as they've got in the receiver receiver positions, uh, they're going to have some advantages. There are going to be some mismatches against, uh, you know, smaller corners or uh, slower linebackers or whatever. That uh, when you've got that many uh, receivers with uh, as much, uh, you know, size as these USC receivers have, um, there are going to be people trying to defend guys that, that are really not, you know, in the same altitude. And uh, it's interesting, though, you just see more and more of that happening as they go through the PRPs where the ball's being thrown up, where uh, the hope is the only guy that can go up and get it is the USC guy. Yeah, that's interesting for sure. I'm, I'm definitely I'm ready for fall camp. I want to see how this develops more and seeing this offense more under pressure, just seeing how that works. Uh, before we jump into questions, I would like to thank our sponsor, Trader Joe's. Ryan always has his Ryan recommendations, but now it's going to be Keeley's Collection. I just came up with that. <laughs> what I have in my refrigerator, I know I always talk about it on the show, but the Pollo Asado that's what it's called. It's a prepackaged marinated chicken. It's so good. Um, I'm kind of getting into meal prep, and so I'm meal prepping this, putting some some vegetables with it. I put sweet potatoes with it, which the the spice of the chicken with sweet potatoes sounds weird, but it tastes good. Also, putting uh, chips and cheese with it, making a little nacho carne asada type deal. It's pretty good. Pretty good stuff. But uh, Dan, any anything tickling your fancy at Trader Joe's recently? Hmm, that's a good question. Uh, you know. I think one of the things that people sometimes overlook is their uh, extensive wine uh, collection and really uh, good prices, too. Uh, and I think that's, uh, that's where I would suggest people, you know, spend some time and just take a look at, you know, the, the great selection of, of wines that, uh, that they've got and, and great prices uh, on the wine. So that, to me, I actually, you know, uh, just spend some time walking through, just looking at, at, at what they've got, where the you know where it's from, and and all of that. And I I, I find that interesting. I uh, just uh, I I really uh, enjoy doing that at Trader Joe's. Yeah, apparently. So in high school, uh, one of my teachers, his wife was a manager at Trader Joe's, and she said that apparently where they make their most money is wine, flowers, and cheese at Trader Joe's, which is interesting. Ah. So. 
There you go. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, that's. Uh, I don't know if that's that still the case. That actually makes sense now that I think about it, when you you are impressed by uh, by all the other two things as well that they you know have a lot of fly. I actually uh, I'm a I'm kind of a flower guy, so I, I buy uh, I buy flowers and, and keep them around here, and uh, and and probably might say the same thing as a cheese guy. So no wonder I like Trader Joe's. Uh, <laughs> now that you uh, now that you put those three together. It's a good combo for sure. Uh, but let's dive into some questions. Uh, speaking of Trader Joe's, our buddy John in Brea, he asked, the recent scheduling press release mentioned Notre Dame is on the schedule through 2026. Why is that series not scheduled through 2050 at this point? Should we be concerned about a break in that rivalry? Well, I had the same reaction, John. Uh, um, I hope that's just a, uh, you know, a clerical note uh other than anything else i mean if there isn't a lot on the uh, schedule in those out years i hope that's a good thing because i you know let's face it usc is committed because of the tv contract to the pac-12 through 2023-24 i don't know you know if usc is needs to you know and would this be a, a an example of usc uh, putting itself in a uh, you know better negotiating position, if uh, you know they can't work out things to their satisfactory in the Pac-12, USC gets ever gets itself back to where USC should be, they got to be really unhappy with the Pac-12. I mean, one way you could say positive is it's tradition, and if USC is USC, they ought to run the table in the Pac-12 and be able to get into the college football playoffs. I mean, let's face it, they should. Um, so that's on the plus side. The negative side is that they're falling so far behind, uh, you know, the other power, the other power five conferences uh, in terms of revenue, and it doesn't look like it's getting any better. And um, you know, where does USC, you know, take that next step? Uh, but you, you're right, Notre Dame has to be a given forever. I mean, uh, you know, the greatest intersectional you know, rivalry in college football history that made both schools, to be honest, uh, and put them on the map. And to this day, uh, I tell everybody it's uh, the best single day in college football every year for me by far. Well, every other year is that Saturday in uh, South Bend, um, the last good weather week for sure, usually, um, in the fall in northern Indiana. And uh, it's just, you know, a great place to be and, a, and a, just a great moment in, in college football. And um, I, hope, I hope our instincts are just being uh, a little bit overly, uh, you know, cautious or overly worried or overly, you know, on the lookout for anything that, that uh, you know, could get in the way. But you're right. It would seem that that game should be on the schedule you know, forever uh, and well past 2026, John. So Rich from Moncton, Moncton, I like I, my geography is really failing me right now. I don't know where that is. North Dakota? Maryland? Oh, Maryland. Okay. I think so. Uh, we need Chris Trevino in here to give us some Maryland geography lessons. Yeah. Uh, he sounds like he was already in this podcast with us and maybe sharing a brain with you, Dan. I'll read it and you'll understand why. He says... By now, SC playing UC Davis has caused over-the-top criticism of the program and in many ways 100% justified. I just want to play a game of what if. 
So SC had to line up a game for Labor Day weekend 2021. Due to poor management, they did not plan ahead properly. I understand the SEC Big Ten philosophy to guarantee seven home games a year, and SC plays nine Pac-12 games, which makes this virtually impossible to accomplish. Here's my prediction. When the LA Rams slash Chargers Stadium becomes becomes on board and Las Vegas Raiders Stadium does the same, one of them will want two big-time teams to play that Labor Day weekend and begin an annual clash there similar to what goes on in Atlanta and Dallas. Now let's assume SC turns things around. No comment on the odds of this, please. SC can easily buy out UC Davis to free up that date to play in either LA or Las Vegas against a great opponent. While this is not technically a home game, this is about as close as it gets and should bring in big-time money and exposure. There have to be other big-time programs that have potential home throwaway games like UC Davis that weekend to buy out the opponent and play SC. Does this have a chance of playing out? Fight on Rich from MD. Yeah, Rich. I mean, you're absolutely right. You and I are, you know, completely, so completely on the same, uh, you know, wavelength at this point. Uh, yeah, I think without a doubt. Uh, I mean, if you were, you know, an SEC or a Big Ten school, uh, you could use that as a recruiting tool to say, hey, we're going to, you know, open against USC in the new Ram Stadium in LA, and we got a big trip, and it's going to be really cool, and all that kind of stuff. Um, so, yeah, I wouldn't give up on it now. Uh, USC doesn't take a lot of advice from us. Uh, we've given them some really good advice <clears throat> about the Coliseum, for example, and other things that uh, they just kind of look the other way about the NCAA. Uh, they just kind of look at you like, you just don't know what, you know, we know stuff you don't know, and we don't have to listen to you. Okay. Uh, usually we're right, and uh, I almost don't know when we're not right about some of this, but uh, we haven't had a, a you know, great history of, of USC uh, saying, boy, that's a good idea. Let's see if we can get that done. Maybe this will be a first, uh, but, you know, you've got it right, and, and I think there are some opportunities. I think you have to look at, you know, what is coming down the pike and, and say, well, how can we make this work for us? How can we, you know, not you know be afraid of the new Rams stadium or the fact that you know ten years ago neither you know Chargers the Rams were back in L.A. and now they're both here and, and you know you've got the two new stadiums coming on online in L.A. and Las Vegas and say well what can we do to make that work for us you know for USC how do we how do we uh, turn that into a positive I think there are ways to do it. But you've got to be willing to try. you got to be you know, willing to think about it, talk about it, and go do it. And, uh, and that's been the part that seems to be missing with USC recently. Um, and in case you're curious, Moncton is in Maryland, and it's in northern Baltimore County and has 4,800 people in its population. Fun fact. Whoa. Yeah. Somebody's Googling. <laughs> I might have Googled in between your answer. We have a question from Jeff, the math teacher from Fountain Valley. He says, so now that we're scheduling FCS teams, are we going to start putting names on jerseys too? Principles before pragmatism. Hey, shut up. Don't even say that <laughs> out loud. I mean, uh, if people think it's, you know, I mean, and I, you know, I already seen people saying, oh, the kids want a, uh, a an alternative uniform. They want to, you know, no. I mean, USC's got some stuff going for it, and they shouldn't mess with it. Just don't mess with it. You know, when you've got something that is really, you know, historic and classy and, 
all of that, you don't mess with it. You know, you just do it as well as you can. And it's what went wrong with the Coliseum renovation. And uh, maybe going wrong, they've got two years to get the scheduling right. So, um, uh, but uh, but they got to make it. You know, they got to make it happen. But yeah, the whole idea of again, you know, not putting the names on the uniform. I mean, at least they've done the right things. Remember, uh, this is the team that uh, not that long ago were wearing the Ronald McDonald shoes. I mean, just think of, you know, there's just that horrendous, uh, you know, look. Uh, are they wearing the black socks and all that? And just don't do that. That's just dumb. And, uh, you know, when you've got something that's as good as anybody in the country, I, mean, I saw a listing the other day that, you know, ranked the uniforms in the Pac-12. And the USC's is or number one by far, you know, that they're like the classic look and, and you don't, you don't screw with that. And, uh, I'm thinking the same way, you know, you wish they wouldn't have done that with the Coliseum. You wish they won't do that with the, uh, with the scheduling. Uh, but, uh, yes, you gotta, you gotta, you know, kind of know what you're doing and you gotta work out and you gotta believe in it and you gotta understand that it matters. And, I think, uh, Kaylee, you made a good point. Right now is probably not the time to be telling USC fans that you can't do something or you can't keep something going. Uh, that's just not what they need to hear. It's not what former players need. Former players are really not happy with the uh, scheduling of UC Davis. I mean, it's a slap in their face, I think. A lot of them think um, this is just not my USC. Yeah, I mean, if you look at the tenets of, especially during the Pete Carroll era, of what is USC football, a lot of those tenets are, are kind of crumbling around USC fans. So then you're looking at, like, okay, what is this program? What do we have to hang on to? And Jeff, the math teacher, is suggesting another tenant that might crumble if, if suggested too much. But I, I, I don't... Please, no, no. <laughs> no, I don't want to rock the boat too much. But is there is it really the end of the world if there is one maybe one night a season where there's an alternate uni where it's like something a little it combines the past tradition a little bit more fashion forward is that is that too much is that too much change? Yeah, probably. <laughs> I mean, I I've seen a lot of Notre Dame attempts and they mostly are horrific failures. I mean, just awful failures, and you're never going to outdo. Uh, Oregon, for example. I mean, Oregon, you know, they'll go out there with alternate uniforms that have not a single one of their school colors in them. I mean, it's like, oh, yeah, okay, who, are, who is that? You know, who, you know, who are those guys? And I know, you know, you see the NBA teams doing it now, and everybody's trying to sell uniforms and, and you know, all of that. I think going the other direction is the way to stand out. Now, actually, I think that's the way to, you know, you don't need that, I don't think. Uh, and, and it, for example, it worries me a little bit if I see players, you know, tweeting out, oh, look at this uniform, or look, and you want to say, you know what, I think there might be other things you could be more worried about right now than some alternate uniform that you may or may not wear that may or may not have USC colors in it. Uh, you know, I mean, like an all-black look. I'm sorry. And I know the baseball team and, you know, some of the other teams have jerseys, that it, you know, that are black, but no, not, not an all-black 
you know, look for USC football. I mean, it just doesn't work. And, and one of the problems is the colors are so distinctive that you can't exactly match up anything with them. I mean, it's just the look. And if you start throwing in, you know, different colors, socks or helmet or whatever, it, it just doesn't work. I mean, when they tried to go with the chrome helmets, there was no way they could match the cardinal in the helmet with the jersey. And so then you had a, a, you know, a mismatch of, of cardinal colors. I mean, I mean, it's one of the benefits of having really strong, uh, you know, kind of one-of-a-kind look that you don't, you know, nothing else goes well with it. You just basically keep that look. So that, that's, that would be my, uh, that would be my uh, advice, whether they'll ever listen to my advice or not. But uh, they've been good about going back to the classic look, getting rid of the Ronald McDonald shoes, for example, getting rid of the black socks, uh, going to the classic, you know, traditional USC look. I thought and very clean and, and, uh, and just a, a really as good a look as, as, as any college team has. And, and I think they should just stick with it. Yeah. I mean, it could be, I think it can be executed well and not gimmicky. Just, I think you could do it to just to be fun and to do it as a one-off thing. But you know, with the whole Chrome helmets, it only looked good on the away jerseys just because the, like you said, right. the, the reds didn't match. So it has to be well thought out and like a real marketing move. That's a full rollout, but I don't know. It just doesn't seem like in USC's MO. And and frankly, they have other things to worry about besides alternate uniforms right now. Yeah, that's the other part of it. You, all the time spending you know, on that is time you, maybe you aren't working on getting a better Nike contract or, you know, selling more tickets to the UC Davis game or, or whatever, you know. I mean, you just, you know, stick with – I mean, and I think, you know, the best thing USC has going for it right now is its history and its heritage and, you know, the motto and, the, you know, the colors and, and all of those things and Traveler and the band and just, you know, keep them, you know, you might update, you know, just a tad, but basically it's the, the same look and the same kind of approach. Uh, and I think where they all, you'd like to see all the work and thought and effort going into how do we make this team better? I mean, one of the ways they've done it is in with the weightlifting program and where you've got now, you know, kind of a five-man group that uh, are really focused on football. And they're guys that are still lifters and guys that, you know, can challenge those players and where there's a whole competition theme. And all, that's, that to me is, is, you know, that's where you want to be putting your emphasis right now and all your effort. Is uh, yeah, if you want to come up with new T-shirts there, you know, for the, you know, uh, the phone booth. Uh, what is it? What are they? Phone the phone booth, booth fight. fight. Yeah. And and all of that are you know that's great. I, you can't do any, enough of that. Uh, but uh, but get that all done first, and then you know then we'll talk. But uh, uh, you don't need to be Oregon or even you know, compete with Oregon. You don't need to be one of those teams that when, when people turn the TV on, they say, huh, which one's USC? <clears throat> yeah. Yeah, you don't need to do that. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so we have one last question. It's from Don, and I'm not really sure about his, what he's saying, but we'll, we'll discuss. He says, so many people in the media are saying the players prefer Jack Sears, 
But from the vantage point of seeing so many practices and interactions with the players, do you feel that, that they prefer Jack Sears? No, that's just silly. That's a couple of malcontents in the media who don't know what they're talking about, don't come to practice, don't know anything, don't know anybody. And they just throw that out there to cause, uh, you know, as much uh, dissension and, 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 and as they can. But uh, that's silly. Um, uh, and, and, and nobody should pay any attention. If anybody says that, just don't believe them. They don't know what they're talking about. But, uh, but yeah, those are people who, who have never been happy with USC, don't like USC. Uh, and if they can cause any, uh, uh, any kind of disruption for USC, they will. And don't care about the players. And, um, and say things that, for which there's no evidence uh, whatsoever. Um, so you pay no attention to those people. They really, I mean, you know, you'll see guys write it on the, you know, on the on the P. And again, you know, they're writing something that somebody told them who didn't know what the heck they were talking about. Pretty, pretty, pretty that, that simple. It, it's, you know, you don't want to disparage anybody, but you know, they're trying to, you know. This is a place they think they can get under, you know, under somebody's skin, or this is where they can cause some, you know, people to, you know, start questioning everything. Uh, but uh, uh, that's not the way it is, and uh, don't pay any attention to it. I mean, I will say, though, I did hear kind of in the beginning of the season when JT Daniels was the starter and things weren't going well for one way or another, there was some frustration from a couple, like some some factions of the team. Now that doesn't mean that everyone wanted to throw a coup and, and name Jack Sears the starter. But I think when there is a new guy on the block who hasn't been there as long as other players, and you know there was some, I think there were some feelings that maybe JT Daniels was handed the job, and I think some guys were frustrated because of that. But whether or not that was valid, I think that was just the reaction to you know strife on the team and a losing season. So. I, I I don't think that's something that I would necessarily run with as a narrative on the team. It there was some there were some disgruntled players, but I don't think it was something that was worthy of attention. Yeah, there were. I mean, there were guys disgruntled. I mean, one of the problems with last year's team is there were a lot of disgruntled players about this, that, and everything. So it was easy to blame JT uh, if the offense was, wasn't going bad, you know, nobody wanted to take responsibility. So let's throw it onto the freshman and, you know, we'll maybe, you know, it was the offense that was bad. It wasn't JT. <clears throat> and, you know, as much as those guys were involved, it's easy to blame somebody else. Don't blame me. Uh, I, I might've missed a few blocks or, excuse me, made a few bad snaps uh, or whatever and dropped the ball a few times. But, that, you know, look at the quarterback. He's the one, you know. That, yeah, I, you knew there was the disgruntled players. Even those guys I don't think were, you know, dumb enough to say uh, if we had this guy, everything would be different. I mean, basically, the one argument they would make is, well, we're probably not going to be able to run the ball probably not going to be able to block everybody on the pass rush. And we're probably not going to be able to maybe get the ball to the quarterback every time. And we're probably not going to have a lot of people open. However, when everything breaks down, uh, Jack Sears probably can scramble better than JT can. 
which was no question about that. So based on the premise that everything in the offense is going to break down, Jack Sears is the guy, which might be the case. Uh, that's probably not how you want to design your offense, that based on every single thing that can go wrong goes wrong, then which of your quarterbacks can hopefully pick the ball up and run with it. I'm not sure that's the way you want to you know, go with your offense. But if you were a part of the USC program last year, who could blame anybody for thinking like that? That, wow, we better have a, 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 an offense built on uh, who uh, survives disaster the best. Uh, of of the quarterback, so, uh, but, but yeah, um, I just think um, I think it was it just a, was a bad way to go in that offense. I think it, you know this year uh, you want to just see who performs best in in doing the things you have to do well in this offense. But uh, I thought one of the and the things that should have given us a, a tip off last year as to how bad the offense was is. Um, when Jack Sears, for example, got to start uh, against Arizona State with JT and the concussion, they cut the offense into about cut down by half. Yeah, they were much more basic. Ooh, it went better. They didn't have all this, you know, crazy stuff that they couldn't execute, couldn't block, couldn't, you know, run, couldn't, you know, run patterns. They were basic, and that should have probably told you the direction that offense should have been going all year, instead of getting more complex and adding more plays, they should have been cutting it down to what they could do well. So I think Jack got, a, got the benefit, and, and he did well uh, with a cut-down offense. And I think that's the way they should have gone the whole year. But, you know, but he got the benefit of that, and he took advantage of it, and it showed USC the direction – excuse me, that the offense should have been taken and not to make it about one player or another player. Yeah, yeah, makes sense. All righty, any final thoughts, Dan, before we wrap up today's podcast? Well, we were talking before we got on here about eight days till Pac-12 Media Day, which does seem kind of unbelievable. Right. And uh, the 24th in Hollywood, uh, all day long, all 12 teams, uh, I thought it's interesting. Here's the SEC doing a four-day media day. Uh, not that they don't – every day is SEC football media day, I'm guessing. Uh, but uh, but Pac-12 cut it to one day, and I, I like that. It's a long day, but um, I think it works a lot better than than even doing it over two days. So uh, uh be a long day, but uh should be interesting. It's going to be interesting to see what's – how does USC approach a Pac-12 media day unlike any they've been through in two decades where they're coming off of a losing season and nobody knows what to think? And with a coach who, you know, is by far on the hottest of the hot seats, not only in the, uh, in the Pac-12 but in the country. And how does that all play out? It can be interesting to, to see how that does. Yeah, without a doubt. Um... <laughs> I mean, it's it's just crazy how fast things are, are coming together. We're going to have another podcast right before Pac-12 Media Day, so we'll be back with that. But, yeah, regular season fall camp is right right yeah. around the corner. Yeah, and, I, and I'm, I'm assuming this is the last week of PRPs. I think they yeah. will uh, – you know, I don't know if they'll – they, I would really be surprised if they do a whole week next week, but I guess we don't know. We'll find out uh, maybe. Uh, but uh, 
but we can go into this thinking, is this the, you know, the, the end of the PRPs as well. So uh, uh, it's, it's getting here really quickly. And then, you know, you've got uh, uh, fall practice isn't as long as it used to be allowed to be. So, you know, you go start August 2nd and you go August 30, 31st and you got, uh, you know, game one. So the schedule starts in August this year. And then you've got that front-loaded schedule for USC with those first six games that are, um, you know, a wonderful opportunity and a really big challenge. So everything's going to get here quickly this year. I mean, you're not going to have to stand around a long time wondering, gee, I wonder how it's going to go. You're going to know. Yep. And so get ready. The next couple of months, uh, a lot's going to have to happen and uh, should be interesting. Yep, for sure. Fasten your seatbelts, ladies and gentlemen. The ride is going to start pretty soon here. <laughs> Already, that's going to wrap it up. That's Dan Weber. I'm Keely. We'll be back with another Parasol podcast next week. Thanks for listening, and we'll see y'all later.